Thank you for joining us for today's Practical Living broadcast, and I pray that through this message that you will learn how to apply God's Word and truths to any situation in your life. Stay with us as we discover God's truths that will transform us. We're going to talk about how to communicate well. And most of us perhaps don't realize how much the Bible says to us about relationships. In fact, Scripture is all about us loving God and loving one another. All the stories of the Bible and all the illustrations that you find in Scripture and the messages of Jesus and the instructions of the Apostle Paul and James and the various apostles point to not only loving and serving God, but also learning how to get along well and work well and love one another. It's a part of our Christian faith. In fact, Jesus said that they will know we're his disciples by our love for one another. And love is a practical thing. Love is not some ethereal thing. It's a real thing that people actually demonstrate or learn to demonstrate toward others. Today I'm going to draw your attention to one primary passage of Scripture. It's in the the book of James, chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. I'm going to ask you to read it with me. Let's all read together loud and loudly as we declare God's Word. Are you ready? Here we go. My dearest brothers and sisters, take this to heart. Let's stop there just for a moment. So my dearest brothers and sisters, who is that? That's you and me. That's all of us. But please notice what James the Apostle says. Take this where? To heart. Not just in your head. This is something you need to get in your heart. Why? Because it needs to become a part of your nature, a part of your natural response in relationships. So my dearest brothers and sisters, take this to heart. What are we to take to heart? Here it is. Be Read with me, quick to listen, but slow to speak, and be slow to become angry. For human anger is never a legitimate tool to promote God's righteous purpose. We are to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. One quick, two slows. Quick to listen slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Would you repeat those with me? Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Now, the problem we have in most of our relationships is we we live this in reverse. Most of the time, we are slow to listen, we're quick to speak, and we're quick to become angry. And we wonder, why are we having so many problems in our relationship? Well, could it be that we're actually going directly against what God says in His Word, His relationship wisdom? And so often that is the case, that when you are slow to listen and you're quick to speak and quick to become angry, you certainly are going to have relationship problems. That's why James, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says, get this where? Not just in your head, but get it in your, your heart. Get this in your heart so it becomes the natural way that you live. It's your character, and you're quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry because when you're reacting in anger, you'll never accomplish the good thing that God wants to accomplish in and through your life. So I'm going to talk today about three things around this passage of Scripture, three things that go along with communication. Here's our first point for today. If we're going to relate well to other people, we must understand two aspects of communication that are defined by this verse or these verses, verbal and nonverbal communication. 
James talks about both. Listening is a nonverbal skill. Speaking, dealing with anger, these are verbal communication skills. So anytime you're communicating with another person, it is not one-dimensional. It includes multiple dimensions, certainly including what you say and how you say what you say, verbal and nonverbal. So it's vital that we learn how to do both well. Now, I'm going to give you some surprises today when it comes to communication. Maybe you've never thought about uh, this, these aspects of communication very thoroughly, and I want to help you to understand how this works in your life. Because, again, our talking, our interaction with one another is, is a part, is made up of these two parts. Let's take, it, take a look at the, the, the percentages that go along with this. Your actual words, what you say to another person, only makes up about 7% of your communication. Think about that for a moment. That's very depressing to a pastor. (laughs) You're going to get about 7% of what I say today, okay? About 7%. That's why I repeat my messages sometimes, because you need to hear. That's why you'll find in the Bible repeated themes in Scripture, because about 7% of the time you're going to get what's said. So 7% of your communication to another person is found in the actual words that you speak. 38% of your communication with another person is found in the tone of your words. Tone is the, 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 the force or the emotion that is communicated with it. For example, with my wife, I can say to my wife, honey, I love you. Or I can say, honey, I love you. That's exaggerated, obviously, but... One communicates differently from the other. Same words, correct? Honey, I love you. The words did not change, but everything changed about the message. Why? Because of my tone of voice. And so 7% my actual words, but now can you see that 38% of how powerful my tone was when I said what I said? So 38%. This next one perhaps may really shock you. 55% of your communication will be your posture or other nonverbals. Your body language would be another way to say it. How you're posturing your body, your facial expressions when you say something. Think about this. 55% of your communication has to do with your facial expression, your body posture toward another person, which means this. It means that 93% of your communication has little or nothing to do with your words. Isn't that amazing? 93% of your communication has little to do with your words. Your verbal aspect of communication is far less impacting than your nonverbal communication. Now, how do we actually improve in this area? Because most conflicts in relationships are not centered around the words that are said, but most conflict is centered around how someone says something, the way something is said, or what is communicated non-verbally. So how do we improve this area? This is where we get the most bang for our buck, right? If we work mostly on this area, then obviously we can improve communication significantly. So how do we do this? It goes back to something that I talked about last week. That's why last week's message was so important and foundational to what I'm sharing with you this week. If you missed last week's message, I would encourage you to go back and listen to it. It's online, free, available for you. But I 
talked about one key area of increasing your communication and relationship skills. That's called self-awareness. That you'll never improve your nonverbal communication skills without being aware of you, how you look when you say things, how you say things. Obviously, some of that will come through feedback from other people in your life. But if you're going to improve your communication, you have to have the self-awareness that works on the nonverbal areas of your interaction with other people. Nonverbals are vital. Now, let's go to our second point together. I'm going to talk about one key aspect of your nonverbals. And it's the very thing that James points out to us in the beginning of his message to us in, John, in James chapter 1. He says that we are to be quick to listen. So listening is a vital interpersonal skill. It's a vital nonverbal skill in your relationship. So the question becomes, how do we become better listeners? Because if you can be a better listener, that's going to increase that 93% capacity that you have in communicating with other people well. Now, before I talk about this listening skill, I want to talk about different dimensions of relationships just for a moment. So I will digress just briefly here for a moment. Listening becomes more important the deeper a conversation is. And there are three levels of conversations that we have with people. They're what we often refer to as mouth-to-mouth communication, head-to-head communication, and heart-to-heart communication. Mouth-to-mouth communication is chit-chat. You're just sort of chatting about the day, nothing really serious going on. You're just sort of talking, general sort of interaction with each other, nothing really serious, a part of of the conversation. Head-to-head is when you're talking about ideas or you're making decisions about something. You're working something out. They're ideas or information, something that you're putting your minds to together. And then, of course, heart-to-heart is when you're sharing the most intimate aspects and emotions of your life. The deeper you go from mouth-to-mouth to to head-to-head to to heart-to-heart, the more important listening becomes. Oh, you can get away with not listening at this level because... No one listens closely when chit-chat is going on, but it becomes more serious if you're talking about important ideas and decisions that are being made. You must listen better, and it becomes extremely important when someone's sharing their heart with you that you become a good listener. So how do we improve our listening skills? I'm going to give you very quickly seven things that will make you a better listener. Are you ready to learn these things today? Now, let me say something before I get into these things. I'm still working on these things myself. Ask my wife, okay? I'm still working. I haven't arrived yet, so I'm not standing here today as an expert to tell you, hey, this is how you do it. I'm telling you this is how you do it because this is the goal that we're pursuing, and we can all get better at these things, amen? We can all improve on them. So what are the seven skills? Here's the first skill. You've got to be present and focused in the conversation. By present, I don't mean in the room. I mean present like I'm engaging in this conversation with you and I'm focused on what you're saying. That's where listening starts. You have to deal with something called distraction. Or actually, I'm going to add an S, distractions. Okay. And oftentimes, the reason that we don't have very good interaction is because we're not present when a conversation is going on. We're in the room, but we're not focused on what's going on. 
And the biggest culprit today, and I'm going to meddle with you just a little bit here, and it's okay. It'll be all right once we get past it, and it'll help you. But one of the things that's the, one of the biggest distractions in our lives today is something called your smartphone. Amen. Okay? That you have this little piece of plastic and electronics that you carry around with you and you're in love with it. Oh, my phone. Instagram, Facebook, okay? It's the first thing you pick up in the morning. Some of you have already had a surgery and it's attached to your hand, okay? The last thing you lay down at night, some of you wake up in the middle of the night to play with your phone, okay? Now, I'm, I'm all in favor of technology. It's a great thing. But you know, it's, it's one of the biggest distractions to relationships right now. Amen. Think about how many times you're fellowshipping with a piece of plastic, glass, and electronics when there are people you love all around you. Amen? Amen. You've got your kids in the room. Your spouse is in the room. Friends are in the room. And what are, where are you looking? At people who aren't in the room. Okay? That could care less about what you're doing. Okay? And so you're, you're engaging with something that's distracting you from the most important relationships in your life. Use your phone. It's a great thing to do. But know when not to use it as well. Some families have learned the value when they have a family meal together. They have something called a family phone box. And so everybody has to put their phone in the box. Okay? We're not going to have a phone around the, the dinner table. My wife and I learned a few years ago that when we went out to dinner together that we, well, because we, we, we would all have the tendency to pick up our phone and be looking at our phone while we were waiting for the meal to come. And then we decided, no, we're not going to do that. Let's put our phones away. So we made ourselves put our phones away. There's a lot of silence that happened then, okay? <laughs> but nevertheless, we made the decision and we, we, we learned that pattern. But you have to break the, the addiction to that little device that you carry around with you. Let it serve you. Don't serve it. Amen? Amen. Use it as something that is a tool for you, but don't let it master you because it becomes a distraction to listening. So be present and be focused. Number two, turn towards the person. Lean in. Dr. John Gottman is a specialist in marriage and family therapy and uh, done a lot of research when it comes to marriages and families and what makes them work and not work. I do not agree with everything that Dr. Gottman proposes, but he has made a lot of uh, interesting discoveries. And one of the things that he discovered in his, uh, in his studies is that couples in their interactions succeed in marriage when they learn, when the husband and wife learn to lean into each other and to really make sure that they are toward the person when they're interacting. A very simple thing, but instead of turning away, they turn toward. When someone, when one of the, the spouses, the husband or the wife, makes an initiative to interact, the other person turns toward. Instead of turning away or ignoring, there's an engagement in the process, a physical turning toward as well as an emotional turning toward. It's one of the seven secrets of lasting relationships. It's very simple, but it's something that everyone can do. Because when you turn your back on someone that's talking to you, what have you communicated to them? You've communicated, I'm not interested in what you're saying. All these are simple things, but very powerful things. Here's the third one. Give encouragement to the speakers. When someone is sharing something with you, not only are you to be looking at them and present in the room, 
but engage them. Shake your head as they're talking. Engage them. Tell me more. What did you mean by that? It's called minimal encouragers. That's why pastors will often say, give me a big amen. Why, what am I doing? I'm asking for some encouragement because I'm going to preach better and you're going to hear more whenever you're engaged in the process. And I will tell you, a pastor always preaches better when he gets a few amens here and there. Amen. Can I get a big amen? All right. Okay. Now, I wasn't setting you up for an amen, okay? But I was, I, was, I was attempting to teach you the value of that when you're engaging with someone. You see the difference, okay? When you're talking to that person, you're saying, yeah, yeah, I get that. Oh, yeah, tell me more. What's happening is you're, you're, they're, they're aware of the fact that you're actively a part of the process. You're not passively sitting back, but you're actively engaged. Can I get a good amen? There you go. See, I did set you up for that one. Okay, okay. Here's the next one. Restate, seek clarification. This is a great practice that after someone has shared something with you, before you share back with them, you restate what you've heard them say. Let's say, for example, my wife is talking about, about something that's now going to require a response from me. What I'm going to do is I'm going to say, honey, now before I, I share my thoughts on this, let me see if I understood what you said. Did you say, am I hearing you correctly? And I share with her what I heard because that gives her an opportunity to clarify for me what I heard or didn't hear. Maybe I didn't hear the right way or hear exactly what she meant for me to hear. And I misinterpreted it in some way. And so there's a little negotiation moment that allows us to have that time in the relationship interaction. So that now when I respond, I'm responding. And she knows that I've heard her. And now she's willing to listen to what I have to say as well. So you restate and you seek clarification. Next one is shut down your internal response planning. Here's what I mean by that. Here's what we tend to do. As soon as someone else starts talking... We tend to go into response mode. We, we stop really listening to them, and our brain, by default, goes into what are we going to say as soon as they shut up, okay? okay. As soon as they get through saying whatever they're going to say, now I know what I'm going to say. And it's especially, it, it happens most frequently when we picked up a hot-button item that they've spoken, okay? Remember last week I talked about when your spouse says, you always do this, well, you don't hear anything else. All you hear is always, okay? And so your mind goes into all the times you didn't do what they said you did do always, okay? And so you're into this response planning mode that happens. And so you have to shut that down. You've got to say, I'm not going to go there. And here's the next one. Make sure that you shut down also your need to top the talker. What do I mean by that? You've all experienced this before. You're, you're talking about something that happened in your life. Maybe you had an automobile accident. You tell a friend, oh, my goodness, this was a terrible automobile accident. I broke my leg, and, boy, it was so painful in rehab. And they said, well, that's nothing. I had an accident. I broke both of my legs, broke my back, broke my leg. And so, okay. And suddenly yours is not a big deal anymore, right? Okay. So, I guess I can't top that. I only had one leg broken. Okay. Okay. So, so we tend to always want to be on top. You, you hurt me. Well, that's nothing. You, you need to know how much you hurt me. Okay. You, think I, you think you hurt? You ought to know how much I hurt. Okay. Okay. 
You see the top, the talker thing that goes on? See, this is the way we live our lives. And so what happens is we talk over one another and at one another instead of with one another because of our listening and abilities. And then listen for common ground. Anytime that you're having a conversation, don't listen for the differences. Listen for where we can find commonality. Part of the problem with our culture today is everybody's listening for differences. And there's a lot of commonalities that we can share together if we'll listen for them. Amen? In this room today, we got all kind of different opinions about all kind of different things. But you know what we have in common? Why are we here today? Because we believe Jesus is the Son of God. We believe that He died on the cross to save us from our sins. We believe that He shed His blood to give us entrance into heaven. I might like green and you might like blue, but guess what? We're all the same at the foot of the cross, right? That's our commonality. And so the point is we build on what is common. And so if you're always magnifying your differences, all you'll ever see is is a difference and all will ever happen out of that difference will be distance in your relationship. So look for common ground. Let's go now to our third and final point today. And that's really a part of realizing this reconciliation, this uh, listening oftentimes results or needs to result in reconciliation because that also is a key interpersonal skill that you'll need in your life. Because there's going to be times when people are hurt and you have a problem in a relationship and so you have to know how to deal with it when you find there is a problem to resolve it, to move on from your hurts. Now, Let me talk about reconciliation just for a moment. What does this word mean? I'm going to give you the basic definition. You can look it up in the dictionary. But here's what reconciliation means. It means to restore to friendship. Or to restore a friendship. It's to take people that have become enemies and make them friends again. That's what it means to reconcile. Okay, that's the power of this word. To take people who are at odds and bring them back in unity and harmony once again. This is exactly what Jesus did for you and me. Look at the scriptures in Romans 5.10. For if while we were God's enemies, we weren't his friends, we were God's enemies. We were, what's the word here? Reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? What does this scripture tell us? The scripture says that while we were enemies of God, God did something to reconcile us to himself. He took the initiative. We were not going to God, but God came to us. How did he come to us? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not, be, will not perish but have everlasting life. And so God took a step toward us. God in flesh came down into our world. Anybody thankful for Jesus today? The fact that he took initiative in our direction when we were enemies of God. And so now we're able to be friends with God because of what Christ did for us. He took the initiative so we could be reconciled. And not only are we to be reconciled to God, but we're also to be reconciled to one another. Jesus taught this. Look with me at part of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, let's stop there for a moment. So, therefore, if you're in church really worshiping God, okay, if you're at the, offering your gift at the altar, 
Because the altar is the, represents the corporate gathering of worship. And there, remember, it comes into your mind that your brother or sister has something against you. I would parenthetically add there. Or you have something against them. That there's a break in a relationship in some area of your life. And you remember this while you're worshiping. Notice the instruction of Jesus. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. What's the next word? First, go and be reconciled to them. Go and what? Be what does reconciled mean? To restore what? Friendship. To them, then come and offer your gift. Jesus said this. He said, you're at church worshiping. You got your hands up. You're already into the second song. And man, the glory of God is coming upon your life. you just experiencing God's presence. And then you remember, oh my goodness. So-and-so is mad at me about this. We have an offense. We have a break in our relationship. Or I'm mad at them. I'm really hurt by them. And I've got something in my heart against so-and-so. Jesus said, stop your worship. Now, would you agree with me? That's pretty serious. Stop your worship and go and be reconciled. Now, if we really believe this, about halfway through the second song, church would probably clear out, right? Okay? There'd be a lot of people moving around. But we don't really believe this. But Jesus said, this is the best way to live. First, go and be reconciled. Go and restore friendship to someone that you haven't had a friendship with. Something's become between you and them. Restore that. Reconcile that. And then come back. And what are you to do? Re-engage in your worship. It's part of our responsibility, personally, but also to help other people to, to, to do this as well. Look at what Paul says here. In 2 Corinthians 5.18, and this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And notice this, gave us. Who, who is the us here? You and me. Gave us the ministry of what? Reconciliation. A key part of being effective in ministry is knowing how to reconcile not only yourself, but helping other people reconcile to one another. So reconciliation is key being able to restore friendship with someone is a key. It's a skill, and it requires certain actions on our part. So let me walk you through some actions that go along with reconciliation. First of all, it means you need to attack problems, not people. Amen. That's how you're never going to reconcile something if you're always attacking the person. And so, my goodness, you know, my wife and I, we're not friends right now. I, she's the problem. No, she's not the problem. The problem is something else. So let's get together, husband and wife, and work on the problem. Okay. There's a problem here. And so you attack problems, not people. You understand perspectives. That's how you reconcile. Because when you're hurt, you have a perspective, and someone else has a perspective. And so it's not just enough for you to know your perspective. You can't reconcile until you understand their perspective as well. So reconciliation requires an understanding of perspectives. I want to understand where you're coming from. I want to understand what's going on in you so that I can now make amends where I need to. So you understand perspectives. And then you know what matters and what doesn't matter. In some fights, some things just don't matter. Do you know how many times we fight about stuff that really doesn't matter? We start an argument with our husband or with our wife or with our kids or with someone else, and we look back on it later. So what was that argument all about? We can't even remember what we argued about. But one little thing led to another little thing. Before long, we're not talking to each other. We'll go two or three days. We don't talk to each other. Why? Because some little thing that 
happened. Some little bitty thing that really was not a big deal. Some things matter and some things don't matter. Some things are not worth spending your time arguing over. And then communicate the common ground. What I mean by that is as you're seeking to reconcile friendship with a person, find what you can agree on. Oftentimes, my wife and I, when we have an argument, yes, my wife and I have arguments. I know that's going to blow your mind today to even think that's possible. But yes, we have arguments at times. Actually, we had one this week. Okay? Probably last week too. Okay? But that's part of life, is it not? That's part of life. It's, it's, you're going to have conflicts. You're going to have arguments at times. The thing is, don't let, them, don't let them take over your life, okay? You've got to learn to work through them, okay? And what we try to do is, when we time out, let's see what we agree on here. Because you're not going to always get on the same page about everything. But one thing you can get on the same page about is we value our marriage. We value our family. We value our relationship. That's something that brings us commonly together, which means that I can deal with certain things and she can deal with certain things because there's a higher value. There's a common ground that we're working towards. So communicate. Find the common ground as you listen for it. And then remember the goal. It's resolving, not winning. See, this is what it's all about. You don't have to win every argument. And there's some of us, we get in the mode, I've got to win this thing. I don't care if it kills the other person, I'm going to win. It's another mark on the scorecard of my relationship life. I am right, and I am always right, okay? And this is the need that drives us forward. And so many times, listen, you know this, but listen to it again today. You can win a battle and lose a war. And you keep winning these battles You've got to win every one of these battles. Now, you wonder what's happening to the relationship. And every time you try to win another battle, you're just driving that person a little further away and a little further away and a little further away. And you wake up in two, three, five years, and you wonder how did such distance happen. It's because you always had to win, okay? You don't have to be the winner. See, winning is not the goal. What's the goal? Resolving. And here's the next thing I'll mention for you. Yield when appropriate. That means it's okay not to win. And just say, you know what? You're right, or let's agree to disagree. We're just going to yield this thing. You know, this is something that a lot of people on 270 could learn. (laughs) Have you ever been that person in the lane that's about to disappear, right? And there's, there's traffic beside you a long line of traffic and you're watching your lane disappear and you realize I gotta get in that other lane and you look over and you gently smile at the person beside you and they smile as they drive right by you and And they don't yield they don't let you in they don't realize the golden rule do unto others as you would have them to do unto you anytime that happens it's a wonderful you need to thank God for those moments because God is sanctifying you and God is making you more like Jesus as you pray God bless them as they go by okay, okay. but see that what you feel when there's a lack of yielding what do you feel when there's a lack of yielding in traffic what does it do to you it makes you frustrated You have to deal with stuff inside of you. It makes things harder, okay? And then when you find that one person that slows down and says, 
Don't you want to run over and hug them? Like, stop all the traffic. Like, this is, okay. Why? Because it, it opens up something. It, it creates warm feelings toward. So yielding is not a bad thing. Yielding is a good thing. Now let's talk about what do you do on the other side of this equation when you've been hurt by someone. Because every one of us get hurt in relationships. I'm going to cover it very quickly the next few moments. What do you do when somebody hurts you? How do you reconcile? Well, let's talk about these things that you do. First of all, you need to understand your own pain. Okay? And what I mean by that is this. Understand that when you're hurt by someone, you feel it emotionally. And when you feel it emotionally, you become harder on the inside. And you begin to distance yourself from people. That's what pain does to you. It drives you away. It makes you harder on the inside. That's why people say, I'm never going to trust anybody again. Why? They're hard. They've been hurt. Okay. And so pain does these things to you. And so you're never going to reconcile well if you're living in your pain. Amen? If you're, just, if you're caught up in your hardness and caught up in your pain and caught up in what's happened to you, as bad as it might be, it's, you're never going to get fixed. And there are a lot of people who go their whole life never willing to address their own pain, okay? So they live, their pain becomes their friend, okay? Their identity is in their pain. And so this happens, so you have to understand what pain is doing to you, what emotional pain is doing to you. Here's the second step of the process. Then you need to own your part. I'm going to add another word here that goes with both of these first two things. You start by prayer, okay? If, you, if you're hurt by someone, don't run to them first. I'm just going to give them a piece of my mind. I often will remind people when you give someone a piece of your mind, what do you have less of? Your mind, your mind. okay, good. good. And so what you want to do is pray. Stop for a moment. Let me, let me, God, help me to understand how this pain is affecting me. And God, would you show me my part in this? What am I responsible for here? Because I can't fix them. It's not my job to fix them. But it is my job to have my relationship with you and to know what my part is. What, what part is for me? What are you trying to do in my life? And if you don't own this yourself in prayer... You're not going to reconcile well because you'll always be wanting to project some kind of guilt on the other person. So you own it. Then the next thing you do is you apologize for your part. You go to the person, if it's appropriate to do so, and you actually apologize. Now you never go to them and say, I'm sorry for how terribly wrong you did me. How much you hurt me. You have ruined my life, but I'm I'm sorry. It's accomplished nothing. And here's the deal. Most of us will apologize, but we don't apologize well. We apologize with barbs in it. We have little barbs we strategically place in our apology to elicit some level of guilt on the part of the other person. Because we're still mad at them. We want them to pay a price. And that's exactly what unforgiveness is. It's a debt that someone owes us. And we want them to pay a debt. You're not paying the debt. You're not giving me what I feel like you owe me because of the pain you caused me. So I'm going to apologize because Jesus told me to. But man, am I going to still get you a little barb here and there as, so the Holy Ghost can convict you. It's not the Holy Ghost. It's you trying to do it, okay? Are you with me today? Okay. So you genuinely, I'm sorry, I want to apologize for, and then lay it out. I'm, I'm so sorry for the way I reacted to you. I'm sorry for the words I spoke. I'm sorry for the anger that I demonstrated. I'm sorry for the harsh way that I, I looked at you when I said that. 
I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And then the next thing you do is ask for forgiveness. I'm sorry. Would you please forgive me for looking at you that way? Would you please forgive me for speaking to you that way? Would you please forgive me for the harshness in my tone, for the, for the attitude that I... So you name the issue. And again, it has nothing to do with them, everything to do with you. So you apologize, you ask for forgiveness, and then here's the deal. You decide ahead of time what's going to be your response toward them. Forgiveness. Please listen closely today. We're just about done. Forgiveness, forgiving other people is not an option as for Christians. Did you know that? Amen. It's not an option. It's not like a salad bar that you walk by and you see the bowl of forgiveness. I'm not going to have any of that today. Okay? No, I'm not going to forgive anybody today. I'm not going to do that. No. Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Notice, forgive us as we forgive them. If you have something against a person that you're carrying in your heart, Forgiveness is not an option. If you're, it, will, it will shut down your spiritual growth if you don't do it. It's going to put a block in your spiritual journey until you come to the place of saying, I'm going to let it go. You say, well, Pastor, you don't know what they did to me. I don't know what they did to you, but God knows. Oh, you don't know how they treated me. No, I don't know how they treated you, but God does. And God is able to make it right. God is able to work that out a lot better than you can. What he's looking for from you is just to say, you know what? I've already made the choice. Forgiveness is going to flow from me. I am not going to stop up the flow of forgiveness in my life, okay? Because I want to receive the flow of God's forgiveness to me. And then the last thing I'll mention with this, we're done today. Say it with me. Let it go. It amazes me how many people I meet that they're still mad and angry about something that happened to them two years ago or five years ago or ten years ago or twenty years ago and they're carrying it around inside of them and they just will not let it go. They're holding on to it. And what happens when that, when that occurs in your life, as I mentioned a moment ago, it becomes your identity. It warps every part of you. Because you're still holding on to it and you take it with you into every relationship of your life. That person may be long gone from your life. They may never be thinking about you at all. But you still carry this hurt inside. You haven't let it go. And so you bring it into every new relationship of your life. It poisons. It becomes the toxicity of your soul. So when you forgive, what forgiveness means, it means this. It means that you let it go. There's some of you here today that you're carrying a wound inside of you right now. You're angry at someone. You're bitter about something. Someone hurt you. Maybe they hurt you very significantly. And that thing's been eating away. It's been like a stone pebble in your shoe. Maybe like a rock in your shoe that you feel it all the time. You've been carrying it with you maybe for a year or two years or maybe even longer. 
But God brought you to this place today because today is your day of freedom. Today is your day of liberation. Today is your day that God is going to help you let it go. So I want you, if that's you this morning, in your own soul, in your own heart, to identify that, yes, Lord, that's me, and I need to let this go. And in just a moment, I'm going to have us to make a declaration together. And I'm going to encourage you that when you say these words with me, that it will be a moment of affirmation. Lord, today, this is the moment that I'm releasing this, that today is my day that I'm going to let it go. So here's what we're going to do on the count of three. I'm going to ask you to declare with your loudest voice, Those words that you see on the board, let it go. I want us to declare it together. And when you do so, it is your moment of saying, I'm releasing this thing. Forgiveness is flowing from me. I'm not going to hold on to this any longer and let it become the poison in my own life today. I'm going to let it go. Are you ready? One, two, three. Here we go. Let it go. That was pitiful. Okay. You can do way better than that. Okay. I'm going to do it one more time. And out of your soul, this is a point of deliverance for your life. I believe that shackles are going to be broken today. I believe that strongholds are going to flee today. I believe that love is going to start flowing like a flood in somebody's soul today when you make the choice to let it go. Are you ready to let it go? 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 One, two, three. Let it go. Amen. Let it go. I have no, I'm not here to try to pump up your emotions. I'm here to help you today to realize life is way too short to hold on to that stuff. If you live to be 90, that's still a short time. Life goes by quickly. It feels like I was 20 just yesterday. I mean, I'm only 22 today, but are you with me? It feels like just yesterday you were a kid. So life moves so fast and you'll spend your whole life and you'll miss the purpose that God has in store for you. That's why God comes and he says, whatever you need to do for reconciliation, let it Bow your heads with me as we pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. Lord, so very many times we've been slow to listen. We've been quick to speak. And Lord, we've been quick to get angry. We confess that before you today. We we have done so many times the exact opposite of what you told us to do in your word. And Lord, we're sorry today and we ask for your forgiveness. We confess that before you. We pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, that this moving from this day forward, that we would be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And Lord, let us walk in forgiveness. I pray that today, Lord, as we've declared a few moments ago, let it go, that today is the moment that we have released the poison of bitterness and resentment in our soul. The devil loves to traffic in. He loves to plant it inside of us. But today, Lord, is our deliverance day. We receive your forgiveness and we walk in forgiveness in Jesus' name.
I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me, and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray, and you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out, and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God, and I promise you that He will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of His name. Say, Jesus, I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out, and you become a new creation. All things pass away. All things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time.